guys, and welcome back to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back with a very special episode where we are going to be looking at the best of 2022. That's right, the absolute premium titles, the ones that stuck out the most for us. And believe you and me, uh, ble- well, I believe you and me, I should mean believe you and me. <laughs> Shocking! <laughs> believe you and me. That was such a good intro as well, it was strong. It was going well, it was going well. Hello and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast, back with a very special episode, which is going to be our best of 2022 episode. In other words, we're going to be looking at the absolute premium titles from the year, and believe you me, we worked out, we had read over a thousand comics each this year. Well, there were a thousand on our pull list, so I like to think we've read them all. So, your host is always, Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined as always by Keith, Mr. Marvel himself. Happy 2023 to you, sir. We're going to discuss 2022, all the good stuff. How are you keeping? I am keeping well. Twenty twenty two was a was a great year in all sorts of all sorts of ways. Uh, not least comic books. And now, whatever you said, now you're right. I mean, I certainly have over over well over a thousand books on my on my uh, my pull list for twenty twenty two. But whenever you say you like to hope we've read them all, are you suggesting that you haven't? Not at all. I was just checking you had. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, it doesn't uh, go in my box unless it's been read. That everyone has their own way of storing their comics and their own way of, you know, we've always talked very highly about CLZ, which is a great app, you know, to keep track of your collection and so forth. So with my comic collection, the way I do it is, I pick up my pull list on a weekly basis. It goes beside my bed or you know on my desk or whatever, and once I read them then they get put into clz and then they go in the box so if they're already in a box they've already been read so that's the way i i do it so i can assure you anything that was on my pull list this year has been read and i'm actually well up to date as well had a very productive christmas period got caught up uh i'm now on similar i hope to yourself at this point where you're actually reading comics the week they come out it's it's a really novel thing after a few months of struggling yeah, no, I absolutely. Uh, I am currently reading last week's pull list. Now I'm aware today is New Comic Book Day. I haven't been in the store yet. Uh, I'll get in tomorrow um, whenever I head into the city for work. Um, but I think I've got about 12 issues to read. Now, admittedly, uh, there have been uh, a few uh, omnibuses mm-hmm. uh, or uh, hardbacks that tend to sort of go on a separate pile beside the bed. Uh, so I'm currently reading volume three of Sandman, and uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll read all of my pulls before and, and be freed up to to take a run at something you know larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so I'm currently Sandman volume three, but it's been sitting for a few weeks, you know, as I've been getting yeah. all of my pulls. I've got a couple of volumes of the American of American Vampire to get through um, sitting there, a few other bits and pieces uh, that I haven't had a chance to look at yet. The the latest. Um, June, Volume 2 of the June, the Abraham Books, um, June, mm-hmm. Volume 2, Maldib, uh, sitting. So what I'll do is I'll I'll scan the stuff as soon as I have it, just so it's in the it's in CLZ. In fact, sometimes I'll scan it before I leave the store, as you well know. <laughs> well, sometimes you'll scan it before you even pay for it, which is yeah, great, that's... because that means you have to pay for it at that point. <laughs> exactly, I'm, you know? I'm committed. There's no I changed mean... minds at that point. <laughs> well, when, when is there ever? When is there <laughs> well, that's a fair point um... as well. You know, but uh, uh, get it home. I'll uh, I'll organise it, and it's uh, DC and Marvel and, and indie piles. Get it uh, get it sort of cut off the list, and then I'll uh, I'll 
I'll take the three piles and shimmy them together so I'm not reading two Marvel together or two Image together or two, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, everything, nothing goes into the archive until until it's uh, until it's read. Yeah, I mean, it's just, see, you, you read your comics, you're, you're very, you know, single-minded with this. You have to finish last week's before you start this week's. I, I sort of massaged that a little bit for myself this year and moved it around a bit where if you weren't reading the miniseries, for example, so I knew we wouldn't be chatting about it, I'd maybe put it to the bottom of the pile. And then maybe by the time I was ready to read it, maybe two or three issues of it have built up, so I would do it that way. But same again, it doesn't get scanned and put in the collection until it's been read. But I find that some series just benefited from that as well. So, But yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah there's always at least one omnibus going on in the background with myself as well. I'm currently halfway through Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 2. Managed ah. to read a good chunk of it while I was away there. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, it actually achieved even more from me because... In the volume two, there's been some crossover stuff with the Ultimates and with the Ultimate X Men, uh-huh. and I've ordered Ultimate X Men Volume One for next week, <laughs> and I may move on the so I may I may take in that whole Ultimate Universe. Although I do understand that Ultimate Spider Man does tend to be the highlight of it, but I do like how they're crossing them over. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, so. yeah. There, there was uh, Ultimate Spider Man obviously kicked it off. There was Ultimate X Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, the Ultimates. Um, then there was uh, an Ultimate Iron Man mini series. Oh, we don't need to worry about uh, that. Oh, it's kind of interesting actually. It's very, I've got it. I've got it now. I've got the singles in the house. So, um, mm-hmm. Can I can fire them your way? And was there like, uh, Ultimate Origins or something? Or there was Ultimate Origins. Ultimate. Then there was the Ultimate Galactus um, affair. Uh, Ultimate. It was in three parts: Ultimate Nightmare, Ultimate Something, Ultimate Something Else. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And then was it Ultimate End? Was that the end of the Ultimate Universe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it would make sense. It's in there. I do have a little uh, a single issue from Ultimate End in our collection because there's a, a Scotty Young cover. Ah. It's literally all the Ultimates characters in the background with their back to the cover, and Brian Michael Bendis standing in the foreground as if to say. I'm leaving these guys behind now. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. But no, I, mean, I, I really enjoyed the crossover aspect. So yeah, it got me, definitely got me interested in the other titles. I think that's that's why, as you say, I'm a wee bit more single-minded when it comes to uh, reading my pull list week to week is because I got into comics at the time when crossovers were <laughs> the thing. So if you didn't read things in the right order, you were maybe reading part two before you read, you know what I mean? So yeah. you had to read part one. So, I would, so that's why I'm single. But yeah, I've also got... Ultimate Spider-Man Volume One, and I need to get Volume Two. Uh, I didn't pick that up whenever I whenever I should have. I think there's a Spider-Man 2099 uh, omnibus coming out fairly soon. I've got Gideon Falls that I bought quite a long time ago to read. Um, you know, so I've got I've got loads loads going on. Um, that that's the idea of, of trying to in 2023 reduce the pull list a little bit so I can uh, I can get caught up in some of those omnibus. Yeah, well, it's it's a good point. I mean, you want to read the new stuff coming out, but there's such a diverse, amazing backlog of comics from 10 20 30 40 50 years ago mm-hmm. and because we we live in a great age where so many of them are becoming available you know whether it be through omnibus form facsimile form re-released graphic novels whatever you know there's always stuff that you want to have read that you haven't had a chance to so it's just it's impossible to read those sort of classics but maintain a 25 to 30 issue weekly pull list it's just mm. there's just not enough hours in the day and that was before i had a child and yeah, there's yeah. definitely not enough hours in the day now, <laughs> I, I can tell you i mean just just one very quick story was last night um we had to feed alfie we were getting ready to put him to bed and Vicky said to me, oh, sure, I'll feed him. And I know how much you've been enjoying your Ultimate Spider-Man omnibus. Sure, why don't you jump back into that and I'll feed him. I got an issue and a half read before the arms were out of 
hold me daddy um <laughs> which of course is lovely that your child wants you but uh uh-huh. i thought i'd get at least three or four issues in but uh yeah it's it can be challenging as i say to maintain those levels of what you're reading and read the previous stuff so uh, i think it's only wise that we maybe carefully manage our pulls a little more mm. so but and uh you have a little surprise in the store i haven't had a chance to see it yet yeah, I mean, we'll we'll chat about it certainly a little bit more further down because we'll be mentioning a certain series. But for a long time, I have wanted to lay out the entirety of Nightwing 87 on the floor of the store. Now, people have said to me, why are you putting it on the floor? Why are you not putting it up high? But I've nowhere decent in the store where I can put it up where it's readable. So I thought, ah. I'll put it on the floor in front of the graphic novels. It's nice. So there is a part of me kind of regrets chopping the issues up because I needed two issues to do it because obviously uh-huh. printed front and back. It's now like a 15 to 20 pound issue on eBay. So, you know, I may have made a mistake there. But yeah, I laminated the whole thing. And I, I, I spent yesterday afternoon, I was ahead and all the pull lists were done. Delivery was done. Had a spare hour. So I just thought I'm going to do it now. So yeah, it's sort of all framed just in front of the graphic novels. It looks pretty sweet. Uh, it was cool today because I did see a few different people stop, look at it. And then you just see them shuffling along. Just, you know, why is this here? Reading it and then getting it. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty There'll good. be so many people crouching down, you'd be creating a trip hazard. <laughs> I just need to make sure I always have Nightwing graphic novels in stock. What's this yeah. from, Nightwing? Do you have any? Well, no, but... Yeah. You know, so I think I'll have to overstock Nightwing graphic novels, yeah. which I should do anyway, because it's awesome. But Good, and you were uh, you were over in England visiting Vicky's family at the weekend? Yeah, just catching up on some family stuff, some 40th birthday celebrations around the family and a few of us. So uh, it was nice to do that as well. Alfie's first time on a plane. He was absolutely fantastic, both there and back. Didn't sleep one wink, of course, but he was mm-hmm. he was very awake and, and he was really, really good. So, yeah, that was all good. And then we're, we're back now to a bit of focus on the store. I've been sort of working hard the last couple of days. Obviously, there was that Nightwing display, but uh, back issues, new framed pictures up, changing a few displays around. I've been doing quite a lot the last few days, um, getting more stuff on the website. So it's, I'll be honest, the first couple of weeks of the year, I was maybe a little lazier than I should have been, or else deliveries were late, or you were just a wee bit more lethargic, but, you know, the last couple of days have felt really good, and, you know, starting to get set up the store for the rest of the year, if you will, so. Yeah, I mean, don't be too hard on yourself, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't get too much of a Christmas break as a self-employed individual, so uh, you can afford to... You know, well, this is true. Um, this is true. I just always want to make the store as cool as possible, and I'm, yeah. I'm just so restless when I'm there. You know, I'll always look at stuff. I remember when I first opened the store, geez, we're going off on so many tangents here. See, when I first opened the store, because no one knew where we are, and it obviously took time to attract an audience and this and that. Like, see, honestly, for the first three or four months, I must have played about a thousand poker tournaments on my laptop. <laughs> Because I was just sitting there and no one was coming in. And so I'd enter these free tournaments and just sit and play poker and, you know, sit and read comics. And, and now you just don't have, which is a great thing, you just don't have the time now because either it's it's great because we have customers or, you know, part of our community and or else, you know, I'll look at the wall and go, what could I change there, mm. you know, sort of thing. Yep. So, no, it's a nice situation to be in. And obviously we're entering our sixth year. So it's uh, it's going well. There are no complaints here. Good uh, work. Good work. So, um, brilliant. Brilliant. And tell me. Have you had a chance to watch the first episode or two of The Last of Us yet? I have not. Ooh. There's a part of me thinks, do I need another post-apocalyptic show? Uh, but then I hear nothing but yeah. praise. It's very, very good. It's yeah. very good. Um, it's good that they waited until The Walking Dead was over. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But, I mean, it's it's a great cast. Um, Pedro Pascal, 
uh, as Joel um, Anatorv uh, of uh, Fringe, formerly of Fringe, uh, as Tess, and the wee girl that plays uh, plays Ellie. Is uh, why she may not necessarily have the look. She definitely has the attitude. Um, second mm-hmm. episode was phenomenal, uh, very very good. So uh, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Oh, it's certainly on the list. Has our a million other things, but yeah. I've, I've heard nothing but praise and. I actually heard its viewing numbers went up from episode one to episode two because the good word was spreading. So um, anything Pedro Pascal and I'll, I'll certainly give a go to, although Mandalorian's uh, back soon as well. So True, true. I mean, it's, it's great source material. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm currently playing through The Last of Us Part 2, uh, which is... Whew, <laughs> there's some darkness there. Yeah. Some scariness. That's the thing, as I say. It's I'm sometimes lo- I sometimes loathe to commit to slightly nihilistic shows now. If you know what I mean, it's it's like you have your spare time, so you kind of want want to watch something uplifting and happy, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. you know, as opposed to you know watching dark and cynical and you know survivalist type stuff. But uh-huh. but then again, I say all that. And one of the best TV shows of the last few years was Chernobyl. So yeah, you know, exactly, it's exactly it's I suppose just different levels of engagement. But but yeah, no. Uh, Everything's going well, um, so it's been a good start to this year. And as I say, what we're we're going to be chatting about today's episode is 2022's comics. Now, yeah, obviously we covered it all in in various review shows and and different things, but we we just wanted to distill it down into what we thought the best of the year was. You know, it, there was some phenomenally good stuff. It was hard to uh, actually whittle down some of the categories. I have to say, I could have picked mm-hmm. multiple things, but. One thing we did want to do just before we jump in, you'll not hear us talk about the same title twice. Uh, it would have been very easy, for example, you know, my, my favourite overall title of the year, and in fact Keith's overall title of the year as well, they're both mini-series, but, or maxi-series, but we do have a best mini-slash-maxi-series category, so rather than just repeating the same thing, we'll pick something different there, just to showcase as much as, much as possible as well. So, But as I say, we, we were going to put together our totals, but... I think a conservative estimate is twelve or thirteen hundred. You're talking twenty five a week, fifty two weeks. Yeah, I would say you're not uh, you're not far off there. It's I, I, yeah, I would I would rather not total them up. I think maybe <laughs> we'll total up the numbers. We just won't total up the cost. That's the that's the key here. But uh, there's a reason that comic room of yours looks so gloriously stuffed and full of great content. Yeah, yeah. This is the year that I'm going to start whittling that down. <laughs> Well, luckily, we have a gentleman in the store by the name of Andy who will probably take half of that off your hands, uh, despite absolutely. the fact he has a bigger collection than both of us put together. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, no, just to give you an idea of the categories that we've broken it down into. So, we've got best single standalone issue, we've got best original graphic novel, we've got best publisher, best ongoing series, best mini series, and then you go into some of the individual stuff after that. So, best artist, best writer overall best title of 2022 and then we've just thrown a wee bonus one in which is maybe a hard one to pick stuff because we're so early in the year but it's a most anticipated title of 2023 announced so far anyway although just saying that uh, i've picked something and then there was an announcement about an hour ago by tom taylor that could usurp what i have picked <laughs> so we'll see we'll see what when a I get class to it. announcement though yeah it really was so i think we'll throw that into the most anticipated 2023 as well yeah, so yeah absolutely but uh should we don't kick things off we're going to kick things off with best single standalone issue I hope you have a. Well, I hope you have a drum roll sound effect. You can uh, you can insert in here whenever you're editing. Well, the other thing as well, I might just do that. But the other thing I will say as well is we're starting this off in the upside down world 
because Keith's best single standalone issue is DC. Alan's standalone issue is Marvel. So <laughs> that's uh, that's quite incredible. Why don't you kick things off then with your best single standalone issue then? Sure thing. Uh, my best single standalone issue of 2022 uh, was released in August of 2022 and was Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler, number one, written by Tom King and art by Mitch Gerrards. Um, the One Bad Day series if you could call it a series or, or series of one shots uh was about the, the the dark knight's greatest villains uh and and the story you know and individual stories that covered the riddler two-face the penguin mr freeze catwoman being clayface and in the near future raz al ghul uh, and it was all 64 page prestige format specials that showed why they were they're the greatest villains in 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 uh some would say the greatest rogues gallery in comics. Um, would you and... say that? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am, of course, a big Spider-Man fan. <laughs> so uh, the Riddler, uh, One Bad Day, kicked it off. And it was a deep dive uh, by the writer of Mr. Murrigal, Sheriff of Babylon and Strange Adventures, into the mind of who could the, 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 the villain who could be considered Batman's most... Um, most intellectual foe, uh, and certainly this this would would set him up as that. I would say, uh, and it begins with the Riddler killing a man in in broad daylight for seemingly no reason. But there's always a reason, and uh, there's always a game, and there are always rules. And uh, Batman was sort of well towards his 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 wits end. Uh, you know, by the end of it, it it was. It was a story that was told with, with that just rolled out so slowly and carefully, and just ramped up the tension all the way through right to the end. Uh, just this this incredible patience, and it used flashbacks to you know into the into the Riddler's uh, younger life uh, to to I guess to draw a, a picture for us of a. Of a kid, a young man, you know, with impossible expectations placed on him, and uh, and and to explain how he became the the Edward Nigma uh, that we know. Um, we you see Batman as the the ultimate strategist, the ultimate long term planner, the the great detective. Uh, would that be the case? You know, his he always has a he always has a way out. He always has a plan, and. This was really interesting because this showed uh, the Riddler in exactly the same light, but in a way that absolutely outdid Batman. Uh, you know, he had a, a very long, a very, played a very long game, covered all the bases, manipulated everybody he needed to manipulate, you know, like pieces on a game board, uh, you know. But, I mean, the difference between between uh, the Riddler and Batman is, is the Riddler is willing to... To kill to get what he wants, um, it was it was really it was, I've seen it described as the Riddler out batting the bat. Um, <laughs> Makes it sound like a baseball and, comic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, it was almost a leveling up of the Riddler. Uh, you know, he he let go of the the shtick. You know the the the. The thing that defines him, you know, the the, the pathology, the and uh, and just 
you know, elevates himself above anything that he's been before. Uh, it was just a just a fantastic, brilliantly dark um, story. And uh, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it referred to nearly as an elseworld story, but. This is a riddler that I would like to see Batman going up against, uh, you know, and uh, it just it was it was it was fantastic. It was it was like a, a seven pound seven pound book or an eight pound book, but well, well worth it. Um, I mean, it was just it was just a phenomenal book. You read this as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was this was high up my list also. It was uh, dark, it was nihilistic, it was extremely violent, but it was also very wordy and plot-driven and character-driven, which is where I think a lot of its strength came from. I thought the art was phenomenal the whole way through, and you mean Mitch Dredd's, I love his art style anyway, and obviously, as you mentioned before, Mr. Miracle, Strange Adventures, along with Evan Doc Shaner, but I think he does his, I think he does do his best work with Tom Keen, and there's a reason why he works with him so much. I think he, he understands his narrative style and his wordplay and then best represents it in the art. So, I mean, it's interesting. We talk about Batman One Bad Day, and this is probably the book that personifies the idea of One Bad Day the best, because I've read them all to this point. And some of the other ones play fast and loose with the concept. You know, the whole thing is all about, like, that one bad day that would make you snap. And as you say, this is like that, because the Riddler does snap and all almost levels up as a result and yeah, becomes a yeah. more dangerous villain for Batman, because... The Riddler's always been played as a playful villain, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm going to outwit you, Dark Knight Detective. But I think in 2022 as well as this, you had obviously the Batman, the Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, Paul Dano film, you know, with a darker, eerier, more dangerous Riddler. So, yeah, 2022 was the year of the Dark Riddler, it would appear. Mm, absolutely. I've, I've seen this described as uh, the Riddler's killing joke. Yeah. That's the uh, thing. And, I mean, uh... that, that was the, the idea behind it all, and as I say, this is definitely the most successful out of them. I do think that there was one that was slightly better for me, but only because it ended on a more positive note, which was the Mr. Freeze one. Yeah. But, uh-huh. but there's no denying the power of this book. Uh, it was really, really enjoyable and and a genuinely uncomfortable, unsettling read at times. Uh-huh. So, uh, no, great choice. And uh, as I say, it was a very strong start for the one that Bad Day books. And there are great ones amongst them. But as I say, I read The Catwoman last night. And it was really, really good, but it didn't really follow the conceit of what was set up initially. Um, although the Bane one was bloody brilliant as well. Mm, I don't know. Um, that's that's on my list. Uh, I've got it. It's it's in my pile. It'll be read tonight. I would say. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, no wonderful, wonderful choice. To kick things off. Who would have thought we'd be kicking off the best of twenty twenty two best standalone single issue with Keith picking a Batman book? Wonders <laughs> never cease. And who would have thought that we would have followed it up by Alan not picking a Batman book, but instead picking a book for a title that he has never read a full run of in Marvel history, despite them being, of course, Marvel's first family. Uh, my pick for best single issue was Fantastic Four number one. So, so this was a year where Dan Slott brought his Fantastic Four run to an end. He obviously got to finish off his one big massive event with Fantastic Four, a story he had had in mind for a number of years, Reckoning War, uh, I believe Reckoning it was. Reckoning War, yep. That's and therefore it was inevitable it was going to be restarted at some point. Marvel's very fond of a number one although they have somewhat solved that problem with putting legacy number in on the title as well. But, but uh, yeah, no, we were treated to some uh, loose 
advertising where it was like the new Fantastic Four writer, who's it going to be? And there was a, a picture of a compass pointing north. And I think we chatted about it in our comic chat. And I sort of surmised it might be Ran North. And that was the case. So Ran North was coming on board to write it. Iban Quello, Marvel stalwart, phenomenal Spider-Man artist especially, uh, was being brought on as the series' regular artist. And let's not look past those gorgeous Alex Ross covers, which you know perfectly capture the, the four-color glory of Fantastic Four, if you will. But, but the reason it, it worked so well as a one-shot for me is because it does set up this central mystery of what's going to drive the series forward. But that is almost secondary in the book, I think, to the main story. It's just like a little... I don't want to say it follows the MCU thing of here's the story after credit sequence. Here's what we're doing next. But that's what it felt like a little bit to me. But when the main story was as strong as this one was, it didn't bother me in the slightest. So, so yeah, that, not only that, it's a Fantastic Four number one. It kicks off. Mr. Fantastic's hardly in it. Uh, Johnny Storm's hardly in it, if at all. Um, Sue Storm's barely in it, if at all. It, it focuses on Ben Grimm, the thing, and his wife, Alicia. And the story is nice and straightforward. You know, they're on a, a trip. They end up pulling up at a motel for the night. Some of the locals are obviously... It's, it's more sort of small-town Americana, so they're not used to seeing this guy made of giant rocks and talking with this thick accent. Um, so they don't take kindly to him and, you know, small-town mentality. They try to attack him, all this kind of thing. But they even try to drive a truck into their motel room as they sleep, but the truck actually disappears into thin air. And then the next day, they try to speak to some of the locals and say, what was that all about? You know, we're harmless people. We're here just to enjoy ourselves. But no one remembers anything that happens. So they find they basically walk around town. They find out they're not only in the middle of small town in America, but it's small town America in the 1940s. And they're reliving the same day over and over. So to kick off a Fantastic Four number one, which, let's be honest, should be a premium title for Marvel every time. Fantastic Four, X-Men. These are your stalwart legacy team books. And to kick it off with a riff on Groundhog Day with Ben Grimm and Alicia is a very bold choice, to say the least. But it is so, so good. Um, you know, we, we, we have Ben getting to know the townspeople, even the one who feared him in the beginning, so it shows his understanding, his compassion. You know, Alicia shows how charming and thoughtful she can be. She's trying to figure out the central mystery of why they're reliving the same day over and over and how they can get out of it. And the, the main thing that stuck out is it just shows how much heart these characters bring to the Marvel Universe. Uh, fantastic art the whole way through it. You know, as I say, Iban Quello is a, is a long-time Spider-Man artist. You know, Keith's favourite style, clean lines, loads of cool expressions, lots of humour to it as well. Um, you've got the repeating imagery, that kind of thing. And then the reason why it, it had such an impression, because it, to this point it was a good issue, but it wasn't. it hadn't quite reached great. But the reason I love this issue so much was because where the how the time loop is created and where the story goes is so endearing and genuinely affecting. Like I was tearing up a little bit reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually reminded me of the first sort of ten minutes of Up, which was showing like a life well lived with someone you love and someone who's so close to you, and that's kind of what this did, but in a slightly different way. And you almost forgot you were reading a Fantastic Four book, which in a weird, in a, in a sense, is a weird thing to say as well. But I think it was just all about showing the heart of the the Marvel universe, and it definitely, definitely showed that. So, but yeah, as I say, towards the end of the issue, then, um, you know, Ben and Alicia sort of escape where they were going, and then we go into what that conflict's going to be. You know, something uh, to do with uh, 
Mr. Fantastic. And then it's set up an interesting format. We've only had a couple of issues so far, but it's set up an interesting format where we're going to be following an individual member of the Fantastic Four for the first four issues, and then you, it's it's all going to come together. So very ballsy way to relaunch a massive a massive series, but I thought it was knocked completely out of the park. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Brilliant one shot all around. Yeah, very, very good. Very good start to, I mean, I love Dan Slott's series, loved the Reagan War, loved how he handled the characters. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, uh, I really enjoyed the first three issues uh, now at this stage, which of course means that they will be reunite, reuniting the team in issue four. It's almost like it was a part of the <laughs> Uh, the the Johnny Storm issue was good as well, but yeah, there was a, there was an awful lot of heart uh, in this issue, which is exactly what you want whenever you've got an issue with the heart of the Fantastic Four in it, uh, as in Ben Grimm, the thing, uh, the ever loving blue eyed thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it just was a it was a, a great story, as you say. There was a Groundhog Day thing going on, uh, not what I expected with the first issue, but no. uh, yeah, absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect. Yeah, they got me from the start, and as I said before, I've never really read an entire run of fantastic four for whatever reason but no this one has its it hooks into me from the start so yeah fantastic best single standalone issue of the year for me fantastic four number one and uh, again that creative team is ran north riding iban quello on art alex ross doing covers and that was released on november 9th last year and as keith says three issues deep at this point so it didn't take long but we agree on something straight away uh <laughs> I was curious how many titles we would agree on. Um, obviously, we want to showcase as much as possible, but I, I don't mind the odd one where we're tied for something when something's that good. But this is also another reason why I said you can't have the same title in the same category multiple times because we, we talk about this all the time and we would have probably picked it in three or four categories. But the next category, we move from best single standalone issue to best original graphic novel and... Yeah, there was only one choice for me, and uh, we, we talked about it. It was a pick of the week. I think it was a joint pick of the week. Yeah, I think uh, it was. As well. And that, of course, is the latest book in the Reckless series, which is book five, Follow Me Down. So this is, of course, Ed Brubaker. This is Sean Phillips, uh, writer and artist. You've got the colorist Jacob Phillips, fantastic writer. Uh, sorry, fantastic colorist and artist in his own right as well on colors. And yeah, the fifth adventure of Ethan Reckless, and it's lucky it's as good as it is, Keith, because they're taking a break after this. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. This, as you say, this was the fifth book. Um, I would say the best of the five. I think so. Um, we, I mean, obviously, we we we've both chosen this as the best as the best original graphic novel uh, of twenty twenty two. Any one of those Reckless books could have been it, um, but. I think we, we thought at the time when this was released that there was uh, maybe a recency bias yeah. uh, being applied, but that was it, it's been a it's been a couple of months now and it has still stuck with me. Uh, I mean the the interesting thing about this book is it sort of bucked the trend of the reckless books up until now, where each entry has more or less been been standalone. You could have read it in, in any order, mm-hmm. but Follow Me Down was a companion to Volume Four, The Ghost in You. Um, and where the ghost in you follows Anna's uh, adventures in the previous book, this chronicles Ethan's adventures that run concurrently with that. Yeah, that they sort of hinted at in book four. So it's nice to sort of see the other side of that, the, the other side of the coin, if you will. Yeah, and I mean, it just... It, the, the, the story has Ethan in pursuit of uh, a woman named Rachel, 
uh, you know, uh, her husband has, has hired Ethan to, uh, to to find her. And uh, but it's 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 a book about uh, how far someone can fall uh, or how the length someone can go for revenge. And it's really interesting because Ethan Reckless, as a result of uh, a result of an injury, is an emotionally numb individual, an anti-hero that really riffs off the, you know, the the TV heroes, the action heroes of the eighties, the early eighties. Um, I work alone. I stand alone. I live alone, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he he, he doesn't he he can't he can't feel he can't can't he's he's emotionally numb. Uh, that part of his brain doesn't work. Um, so this this puts him in a place where he where he falls in love, and uh, you know and it he, doesn't he, and, feel forced. No, you know, not at thing. all. It feels very very natural, which I think is is one of the keys. Is the character work in this is fantastic, and one of the reasons book five works so well because, as you say, it culminates everything that came before and brings it to this point. You 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 wouldn't enjoy book five as much if you hadn't read one before. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, the two stories absolutely enhance each other, um, and you you see the different way. You know, Ethan has sort of taught Anna. No, I mean, you wonder, you sort of wonder what you could learn from Ethan Reckless, but uh, he, she certainly picked up what he does and does it in her own way. But you know, Ethan is Ethan is like almost, almost like a sort of semi happy force of nature. Uh, you know, he's all about the the karmic cycle is uh is all about the contained rage uh you know that that sort of stuff and and it's 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 a real it's a real dark book um you know whenever whenever ethan ethan finds rachel and uh whenever you know he, he joins her effectively on her mission uh to 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 um i guess take down the cult that uh that raised her or were part of her childhood um and then it's also interesting because by the end of the book we see an older ethan we're yeah. we're almost we're not we're not quite present day and uh you know we talk about you know time dealing wounds time healing wounds but also dealing wounds and and all of that sort of stuff and so we see rachel and, and ethan together later and uh you know the idea that you know, there's nothing quite as sharp as the as the, the pang of lost love. Uh, you know, and the lessons you learn. Yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe that's it. I think, I think follow me down was maybe the most uh, personal and 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 uh, emotional we've seen Ethan in the in the five the four books that he's been in of the five. Um, but yeah, he's uh, just such a great character, such a great such a great book, uh, such a great team. Uh, you know the way the way Jacob uses colors, uh, you know the reds and the yellows in the background to to delineate the space and the change in space, and uh, then you've got his his dad's you know pencils on top of that. It's just so so good. Um, but yeah, just it's, it, there was something about you know how he, Ethan was so driven in this. You know he was sleeping in his car and you know driving sixteen hours and then. Driving another, you know, it was just, it was, and you know, what happens? It's just, it was, a, yeah, it was a dark, a dark book. He was a man on a mission, essentially, and there's no more powerful motivator, certainly in the world of noir, than you know, strong feelings for the femme fatale, if you will. But it went past that femme fatale element because 
like I, I talk about this all the time with Reckless and with Brie Baker and, and Sean, uh, Sean Phillips in general, that their their stuff should not feel as fresh as it does because they follow such well worn tropes that have been established in movies and literature for a hundred years probably at this point, but they somehow make it feel fresh. And the reason this book works so well is because she moves away from just being a femme fatale because a genuine intimacy and love develops between these characters. And as you say, it's one thing to portray it really, really well in the present where it's all fresh and exciting and a little bit dangerous. But it's those last few pages where it's that melancholy almost, you know, what could have been if we went in a different direction and the fact those strong feelings are still there between them many years later. Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's something maybe more than that as well. Uh, you know, years later, in those last pages, you can see that you can see that Ethan still hasn't dealt with it, still hasn't figured it out. Uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing tied up in a in a neat little bow. No. Uh, <laughs> by the by, the end of it, it's very, very, very human. Uh, you know, and then, you know, the the aside that we know that Anna's no longer with us. Uh, you know that, that somewhere in there we're we're looking at the last days of, of Anna and Anna Anna's fate and and, uh, and and all of that you know so and and that you know whenever we see them back together again towards the end you know everything <laughs> every 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 panel was a wee bit uncomfortable and a wee bit you know it was a wee bit like a punch in the face yeah uh, you know very 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 good stuff very good stuff. i mean reckless in general is the main book that anytime we talk about it i just want to forget about my pull list this week and go back and read reckless <laughs> you know it's so atmospheric it's so well written it's so gorgeous to look at it's so brilliantly colored it's so confident especially by book five because you know not that you ever would doubt this creative team anyway but they were obviously playing with a slightly different format you know straight the original graphic novel you know, would fans follow that as much? Obviously, they'd done Pulp and they'd done My Heroes have Always Been Junkies, but they were slightly shorter books. This was full-blown, you know, 100-page-plus, you know, crime novellas, and they just knock it out of the park. And and again, the more you talk about it, the more, like, it's more than just a surface-level book. Like, there's a lot of depth to these books as well, mm-hmm. which when you first explain to people what Reckless is, you're like, oh, Ethan Reckless will do a job for you, you know, for the right price he, he's the guy that gets things done you know it it sounds really cliche and like it's going to be all surface level but it's not it's there's so much more depth to the characters and the interactions and the situations and yeah just i love this creative team in general just there's a reason that i have absolutely everything they have ever written and drawn together in my collection because mm-hmm. it, it's stuff you can go back to all the time you know like i recommended pulp to someone the other day and then i started talking about it and you know it's about a man who's a giant in one era but then a minnow in another and <laughs> you, you start getting into it yeah these guys are just absolute masters of the craft and yeah, and, and the way they've the way they've taken this format i mean a risky a risky decision you know well maybe not risky for 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 brew Baker and phillips you know but the way they've, they've rather than than single issues they've taken this format and this this periodic graphic novel or original graphic novel and just just made it their own and and, and succeeded widely yeah um, I mean, i've heard it, it yeah i've, I've heard uh, brew baker say that he has argued with sean phillips that uh they will not have made it until their names are bigger on the front cover than the title <laughs> that 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 and, and that's where we're at yeah we we buy stuff just because it says brew baker yeah. and phillips oh definitely you know what i mean so so it doesn't matter really what it is, we're buying for Brubaker and Phillips. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. And 
let's be honest. I mean, if you look at the cover of the Reckless books, their names are pretty big on there. <laughs> and those covers are so class. Yeah. I got a I got a print of the original Reckless cover whenever we were over at uh, Thought Bubble, and I'm looking forward to getting it framed and up somewhere because it's such a beautiful cover. Yeah. No, thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful book. And again, it, there's a reason we're in such agreement with this for 2022 because it, it, it's one of the absolute best. I mean, it was it was very much in my shortlist, probably my last two to three of best overall of the year. Um, but because of a, a slightly more personal connection to my book of the year, it's the only reason it's not quite made it there. But oh, make no mistake, genuinely one of the best things you'll ever read. So yeah, if you've never got into them, Reckless, five books deep at this point. The first four, yeah, you could read pretty much in any order, but definitely leave that fifth book until you've read everything that comes before to get the full impact of it. So, so yeah, so best original graphic novel 2022, Reckless, Follow Me Down, and that is a joint decision on that one. So, I mean, we'll move on to the next um, category, which is best publisher, and I suppose I'll go first here just for the very reason that uh, I'm going to continue on with the publisher who published Reckless Follow Me Down. Uh, <laughs> they're also the publisher that published my book of the year. So there we go straight away. There's a couple of reasons. But yeah, it's probably no surprise. I mean, I'm always... We, we, we talk in cliched ways sometimes of how I'm Mr. DC, case Mr. Marvel. We probably read more indie stuff these days than you know DC and Marvel because all the best creators, they're, they're not... They're not handcuffed by independent work the way they are with DC and Marvel work. They can move the restraints a little bit here and there, do some interesting things, but they've got complete freedom when it comes to their uh, independent work. So everyone wants to work on the independent scene. So although it is a bit weird, I always do think still calling Image Comics independent, but I mean mm. more just independent storytelling. But yeah, Image Comics, without a doubt, were my publisher this year. You know, the aforementioned Reckless I've just mentioned you know, they brought back Saga this year after a three and a half year hiatus. Issue 55 launched in, in January of 2022. You've got great ongoing books that we're always talking about. Things like Department of Truth, you know, from James Tinian and Martin Simmons. You've got that Texas Blood, you know, we're talking about great noir with, you know, Brubaker and Phillips. Well, you know what? If Condon and Phillips keep going the way they're going, they'll be talked about in the exact same ways that... Uh, that uh, Brubaker and Phillips are talked about. You've got Silver Coin, great horror stuff, you know, Michael Walsh, and then that's got a very nice quality to it where you've got a different writer every time. You've got Firepower from Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney. I mean, they're even knocking their re-releases out of the park. Walking Dead Deluxe is still one of the best books around. It's an absolute pleasure to be rereading that as well. You look at things like... Um, Step by Bloody Step, you look at things like Public Domain from Chip Zdarsky, you know, it just, it goes on and on and on because there's just so many great books. I mean, Eight Billion Genies as well, Ram Brown, Charles Soule has been fantastic. I mean, the thing with Image Comics that is great is that there's not a lot of what we call ongoings. You know, there's, Walking Dead is obviously going to be a big long re-release Things have made it a certain way or to a certain length, but they'll probably not go much beyond that. Things like Department of Truth, I'd sell probably finish up around 30 issues. So because so many image stories are anywhere between 6 to 30 issues, you've got time to read and enjoy so many of the other things. Some of their best books are just 5 and 6 issue miniseries, you know, or complete original graphic novels like, uh, like Reckless that we were talking about. So... Yeah, I mean, Image for me, and they're only going to go from strength to strength. I mean, there's been a few times we've uh, obviously chatted with the previews pod and we've said Image is, you know, 
one this month again, that kind of thing. They've just released so many <laughs> great stuff, you know. They brought an end to one of my favorite series of the year, which I'll get into, or my favorite series of all time, which I'll get into certainly um, with one of the other categories later. Um, yeah, just Image Comics for me just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I'd be curious. To, in fact, let me just have a look right now, live on air, even though you're listening to a pre-recording. Uh, but live <laughs> on air is Keith and I chat. If I go to CLZ Comics... And I have a look at series, and we go by publisher. Uh, let me see. So in my collection, DC Comics, I have 3,483 DC Comics. Uh, Marvel Comics, I have 1,718. Image Comics, I have 2,412. So that's a lot of Image Comics. <laughs> and, and there's a reason for that, because they're class. So yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, Image Comics for me, best publisher of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't fault you with that choice. Um, I, well, I mean, it's a very, it is a very close choice for me, uh, as well. Um, but uh, Image are very much up there. I mean, they publish some of the best, the best books of the year, uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, uh, well, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking a wee bit uh, later on. But I mean, they're, they're always there. They're always experimenting. Um, they're working with the best creators. Just a great, a great vibe. I, I mean, I love, I love Image Comics. Uh, great, a great, great publisher. Yeah, big time. So, so yeah, as I say, Image Comics, my publisher of the year. What then is your publisher of the year? Uh, my publisher of the year is well. I mean, yeah, as I say, it was, it was a, it was a, a toss up between this and, and Image Comics, and you choose an image. Uh, you know, I was, I was on the edge with this one, so. A little publisher that kicked off in 2005 uh, in, uh, in the US and uh, came off the back of, uh, of a couple of guys who had been working in Hollywood and helping option comic book projects as producers and working to develop them into films with studios. But they were they were getting a bit frustrated with the, pro- with the, the process of that and, uh, and they started uh, Boom Studios in order to get away from, uh, from Hollywood. Uh, so my choice uh, uh, for this year, for 2022, is is Boom Studios. Um, they have just they just seem to have gone from strength to strength over the last over the last few years, um, and in a very similar way to, to to Image, are just working with the best creators. They're given those they seem to be given those creators real um, real wiggle room, you know, really really embracing uh, what they do. I mean. If you even think at the start of the year, we had the finish of the many deaths of Leela Star by uh, by Ram V and uh, Philip Andrade. But if you if you start looking at, at what we've got in 2022, there's things that are both ongoing and started. Uh, we have, of course, something as killing the children, uh, which is just unbeatable. Uh, you know, Jim's ten and the fourth. We have Al Ewing's. We only find them when they're dead, which is just finished. They have uh, the Dune uh, license, uh, which they've had for the last few years. They they had the the June Heist of Treaties book. They've just started House of Conan, uh, June the, the Waters of Canley, and then you know you have the, the House of Slaughter spin-off stuff. They had the Firefly uh, license and did great work with Greg Pack. Uh, he finished off. He started off finishing his um, Firefly run in 2022 and handed it over to our buddy uh, David M. Bohr, the writer of uh, Canto, uh, with all new Firefly. Uh, not my personal taste, but we have the the Power Ranger stuff by our friend Ryan Parrot, uh, and the, the Buffy stuff uh, ongoing, and that's not even to mention the likes of Wind, which uh, had uh, book two, 
uh, this year. Um, what else? I suppose Berserker, not not quite to my taste, but a wee bit. You know, whenever you look at the stuff they're exploring with, the likes of Dark Blood by Latoya Morgan or Eat the Rich by Sarah Gailey, which uh, she's just finished, started her second uh, series with Boom with uh, New Year's Station mm-hmm. uh, in 2022. Uh, and of course, there was the fantastic uh, Once and Future, which uh, came to an end in 2022. So hard to hard to argue with, uh, with that, I think. You can say, oh, and uh, of course... Uh, we finished 22 with with a, a fantastic launch from Broom, and that was Damn Them All by Cy Spurrier. Very good um, shout, Cy Spurrier yeah. and uh, Charlie Adler, of course. Charlie Adler, uh, which is now three issues in and is just fantastic. So, uh, Boom Studios, what do you reckon? I think it's hard to, to look past Boom Studios, certainly as well. I mean, Image and Boom are probably our two favourite indie um, publishers. You know, Seven Secrets for me is up there with some of the best comics around, I thought. It was a great example of a maxi series that you know told a complete story. Um, Something's killing the children continues to be a great title as well. Um, and then of course we'll we'll talk a wee bit more now about a, another series from Boom Studios because we've moved away from best publisher Boom for Keith, Image for myself, and on to best ongoing series. And why don't you continue with the Boom Love? Yeah, <laughs> why not? Hey. Uh... Uh, my best ongoing series, and I think it's fair to call it an ongoing series. It did it's have certainly long enough, yeah. It did, it did end this year, yeah. But it's more than enough issues, yeah. and even a hint that more could come, indeed. Uh, and that that uh story is Once and Future by Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. Uh, possibly the best looking book, or one of the best looking books on the on the stands over the past uh, over the past three years. Uh, and uh, just an absolute tour de force by uh, by British writer Kieran Gillen. Um, Once and Future, uh, obviously riff, the title riffing off uh, the Once and Future King, um, is uh, it, it kicks off or it kicked off, and it seems so long ago, doesn't it? Really when a does, group yeah. of uh, a group of British uh, nationalists uh, uncover and use uh, the, the the scabbard of uh, of Excalibur. To bring uh, to bring back to life uh, Arthur or a version of Arthur from Arthurian myth back from the dead to gain power, uh, thinking that you know he'll 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 be there for the British. He'll eject all the all the foreigners and uh, give Britain back to the Britain back to the British and all of that Brexiteer crap. Um, and this, of course, uh, this of course reignites ex Monster Hunter and possibly possibly the best. The past few years, Bridget McGuire, also known as Gran, uh, she's a she's an ex monster hunter. She escapes her retirement home and pulls along her unsuspecting grandson Duncan, who's a museum creator, into a world of of magic and uh, and mysticism and Arthurian legends uh, in order to try and and counter this this legendary threat. It's Kieran Gillen has long been uh, obsessed with the ideas the idea of stories, what stories mean to culture. Uh, and how they shape culture, and I mean, as I say, this is an absolute tour de force in that exploration of, that that I think he started, you know, with his uh, his run on Loki, um, where where Loki became the god of stories, right through uh, you know the wicked and divine uh, into uh, into uh, once and future, and uh, it just is it just is such a great story. Uh, by the time by the time we had finished. Uh, we had three different versions of Arthur 
we had uh, giants and beanstalks. Uh, we had uh, legends from from Shakespeare and Beowulf. Uh, we just it was just all the, to the play cops for. from Hot Fuzz. Let's not forget <laughs> the cops from Hot Fuzz, and it closed. It closed in a climatic, transformative conclusion. Halfway through the uh, halfway, I mean, this was a this was a series that was only supposed to be six issues. Uh, whenever it was first announced by Boom, uh, if you remember way back when, uh, and I mean halfway through uh, this story, that the the whole thing changed. Uh, that the entire you know in the in the, the third arc, I think the whole uh, the whole status quo shifted. Um, Dan Mora, Tamara Bonvillain, and uh, Kieran Gillen just at their best uh, on a, a modern fantasy action epic um, that that just just built and built to an absolutely fantastic confu- con- conclusion unraveling you know and uh, the, the stories of, of, of Britain and mythical Britain and uh, Merlin and Arthur and Robin Hood and uh, just just absolutely absolutely something else uh, another book that I am really looking forward to to rereading yeah that's fair I mean it's it's definitely well uh, deserving in this category because, as you say, it started life as a mini series before it got promoted to an ongoing. An ongoing, so it can definitely <laughs> fill that uh, fill that title. But yeah, no, once in future, I mean, I like. I think it definitely introduced the world to the the phenomenal talents of Dan Mora. I mean, we're we're obviously well versed in Kieran Gillen, long term writer in comics. You know, Wicked and the Divine, tons of stuff at Marvel. You know, Kieran Gillen's one of those guys that you know that's a name that sells a book to me but Dan Moore was a bit more untested I suppose when this started and now he's arguably the best artist working at DC he's doing Batman Superman World's Finest with Mark Wade writing for him he did Dark Detective through Future State he did Detective Comics with Mariko Tamaki I mean I I refer to him as a modern day Jim Lee his style just really reminds me of Jim Lee's dynamic detailed mm-hmm. expressive mm-hmm. action and yeah, anything Dan Mora does is is now a name that I'm on board with. I mean, Once in Future was an interesting one because I let the last couple of issues pile up a little bit, and which was tough for you because you always wanted to pick it as like pick of the month. <laughs> I was like, Keith, I haven't read issue 29 yet. Can you hold off? But it read really, really well. I read the last four issues all in one sitting, and therefore, similar to yourself, I would really like a reread because I think there's tons of little little nods along the way tons of little easter eggs tons of setup and payoff that maybe you don't notice in a in a sort of month-to-month reading so uh yeah that's definitely a series deserving of a reread to say the least uh and as i say there's there's a small hint there could be more i think it's done personally but there's a small hint that if they did want to pick up the reins or if they wanted to pick up the sword again i think that they definitely could plus you know, we need Gran and more car and more titles, and we just have a spin-off comic of her in her younger years, Bridget. I think that would be fantastic prequel yeah, series yeah. in her monster yeah. hunting younger years. Yeah, it's uh, such a just such a such a good book. I mean, if you're if you're looking for if you're looking for the Green Knight laying waste to a bar full of white supremacists, or you know, a car and a giant fire breathing lion ridden by a knight chase. Uh, you can't you can't go much further. Or and the phone nice. of a prime minister who consistently <laughs> makes the wrong choices, despite yeah. the fact he's forewarned yeah. that these choices are the wrong choices. Yeah, and knights and and dragons and uh, and pretty much the best uh, the best character in uh, 
in, uh, in uh, recent comic history with uh, with Bridget, who uh, Kieran Gillen admits was based on his own grandmother. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, great call there. Once in future, as as we said, I finished it issue thirty this year. You know, if you want to jump on it, there's five trades covers the whole thing, or uh, there are some rather nice deluxe books. The first book covers the first fifteen or sixteen, I think, and then the second book's going to cover the 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 rest of the series. But yeah, great, great stuff. So, once in future from Boom Studios. So. Uh, my best ongoing series is probably only mine because I wrote my choices before Keith because otherwise <laughs> it probably would have been his because, again, you're probably sick listening to us talk about it, but there's a reason for that. It's because it is phenomenal, and that is Nightwing. Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, they somehow elevated a uh, sidekick character to possibly the most important character in DC Comics right now. Uh, Nightwing as a book is just pure and utter joy whether it's character interactions whether it's respect to the legacy of the past you know obviously the passing of, of Alfred in the in the pages of Batman a few years ago and the legacy he's left behind and influence on Dick because of course Dick Grayson inherited you know Alfred's fortune is able to put that to good use in Bloodhaven he <laughs> Nightwing is just so well written under Tom Taylor because Nightwing is the ultimate optimist it's why he always worked brilliantly as a Robin for Batman, because it was a dark Batman, but it was an optimistic, joyful Robin. Then he stepped out of that shadow, became his own man, moved to a different city, determined to make a difference. And it's never been more felt than in this series, whether it's trying to start developments in Bloodhaven, whether it's trying to invest money in the city, whether it's finding out he has a long-lost sister who is going into politics and therefore has sway there. He knows he's been the big target on his back, as Dick Grayson, I mean, forget about Nightwing, who gets you know shot at on a nightly basis. That's clear, not enough of a challenge for Dick. He decides to you know have pretty much an open contract on his life uh, the whole way through the current run. You've had brilliant new villains introduced as well with with Heartless, who's a terrifying creation, especially uh, through the Nightwing annual that came out this year that went into his twisted backstory and a dark mirror, an even darker mirror of Batman's, if you will. You know, um, that's that's all without saying about the art. I mean, Bruno Redondo is just mm-hmm. an absolute dream of an artist. I mean, we talked about it in the intro, that uh, one issue they did, issue 87, which is all one big long panel. And you can break that issue down to one simple thing. Someone, kill, uh, someone kidnaps Bitewing and Nightwing goes after them. That's the whole issue. That's all that issue is about, and it was one of the best issues of 2021. I did try to sneak it into 2022, but it actually came out in like December the 21st or something of 2021. But, uh, you know, everything about this book just screams joy and quality and creators who are so happy to be on it. You know, there's been Twitter interactions where uh, Tom Tyrrell said to Bruno Redondo, you know, dude, the interior of the book's gorgeous enough. Just maybe do a simple cover this time, and then it'll just drop something ridiculous and meaningful and um, brilliantly designed. They brought back the finger stripes for Nightwing, so again, the nods to the past. They elevated Dick and Barbara's relationship. They um, had the annual where a couple of other writers came in. You had stories from the point of view of their dog. It, it's just such a very title as well. It can... It's always been one of Tom Taylor's strengths as a writer. He can go from serious to comedic very, very quickly, but not in a way that's unnatural. And again, if there's one character that can, you know, deal with the sort of the comedic side or the lighter side of the DC universe, it's definitely Dick Grayson. Um, the book has never dipped in quality. It's never missed a release date. It, um, 
it's just an absolute pure joy of a book and issue 100 just hit there uh, it actually has come out this year 2023 as opposed to 2022 but it was a perfect distillation of everything about the character it was a perfect examination of the past with his relationship with bruce and with batman it went into his guilt about not being there for alfred it set up stuff moving forward um i, I just really can't say enough good things about it i mean it's, it's one of the most consistently recommended books in store uh, and the thing with Tom Taylor as well is he just provided the perfect jumping on point. Like you could pick up the first volume, which is called Leaping Into the Light. I'm not know a thing about Nightwing other than he used to be Batman's partner. And you just, you'd feel right at home straight away. Um, you know, Stephen's always a good example of someone I like to talk to about this as well, because <laughs> he started reading Tom Taylor's run and then suddenly collected everything Nightwing that came before it, whether it was the Grayson run, whether it was the New 52 run. He just was so interested in this character because of how brilliantly written he was under Tom Taylor. And, you know, I mentioned the artist Bruno Redondo, of course. You know, I was lucky enough to pick up an original page from Nightwing, which I, I bought for my son, Alfred, because it's this great panel where Dick is just looking at this statue of Alfred he has in a memorial park, and it's just this awe-inspiring image. So, yeah, just Nightwing, top to bottom, just one of the again one of the best books on the shelves and also one of the books you're probably sick hearing us talk about <laughs> but until you're on it we're going to continue talking about it so yeah best ongoing series for me it, it kills me that it's not batman but you know what it's the second best batman so it's all good well, i'm glad you came right you, <laughs> you know uh yeah i mean i can't i can't say enough about this can't say enough about this series in particular tom taylor's run uh taylor and, and redondo's run in this series just just absolutely personifies uh, Dick Grayson as the, the heart of the DC universe, uh, puts him firmly there, uh, seems set on, on, on very much enshrining that in the coming year. Uh, and it, it's, it's done, I mean, Tom Taylor does everything with heart uh, and therefore there's, there's no better combination. Uh, you know, that from, from that initial leaping into the light uh, and that fantastic image uh, double page image in the first issue that he that he did of Nightwing, uh, right up to Nightwing 100. Uh, you know, uh, just such a good good series. Yeah, and I'm glad a lot of people have come around to the way of thinking on it because obviously we've grown as a store during the time Tom Taylor's taken over Nightwing. But see, pre Tom Taylor on Nightwing, we had maybe five or six people on Nightwing, um, and see now it's the second biggest DC pool after Batman, and that's only because. Batman's had a bigger uh, base audience for longer, but you know it's moved from five or six people on it to late thirties, like thirty-eight, thirty-nine people on it. So it's uh, it's just it's a heavily ordered book, and yeah, the the quality just keeps coming out. So uh, yeah, definitely best ongoing series for me. And it wouldn't surprise me if we're having this conversation in a year's time, and I say the best ongoing book of twenty twenty-three is uh, Nightwing. But <laughs> for now, I'll stick to best of twenty twenty-two and Nightwing wins it all day long for me good work so that's the the best uh, ongoing series of 2022 that is uh, as alan says nightwing for his good self and uh, kieran gillen's once and future for me but uh, i think that's a case of either of those could have been either of ours yeah absolutely you know those are two series we've both absolutely loved and and talked about at great length uh to say the least so ad nauseum you might say ad nauseum <laughs> so Moving on then to the best, or sorry, our favourite mini-series of uh, 2022. Do you want to take point on this one, sir? 
Yeah, well, as I say, when when it comes to, you know, picking our choices, it's a case of um, not wanting to repeat the same thing. So although my overall best title of 2022 is a miniseries, this best miniseries is one of my second favorite. And I'll be honest, this was a hard choice because I've changed my mind on this about 10 times because, as I say, with loving everything that Image Comics do, um, so many miniseries have been read this year. Um, So many great boom miniseries. But for me, it's actually a Dark Horse series that took it. Um, and that's only because Dark Horse have partnered with Comixology to uh, do printed versions of uh, digital first stories. Now, there was a time uh, a year or two ago where Scott Snyder announced the whole rake of new titles for Comixology. He'd be working with a different artist on each. And one of the titles I was gutted was coming out digital first because I just... I say this all the time, it's not as a store owner, it's just as a comic reader, I just don't like digital comics. They just don't feel like I'm reading something that's been, you know, handcrafted, they just feel like a PDF file or something, but uh, they set up with uh, Comixology Dark Horse to print them, uh, and they printed We Have Demons, which was Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, which was a really good miniseries, not quite best of year stuff, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, but the next one to come out was the one that I had been waiting all this time for, and that is Night of the Ghoul. Uh, this was first um, teased, I would say, genuinely four or five years ago. Uh, Snyder and the artist on the series, Francesco Francavia, uh, started this hashtag of NOTG, and they wouldn't tell anybody what the title was, though, and I thought it was Night of the Something. And I tried to think, was it Ghoul? Was it Goblin? Was it? You knew it was a horror series, but that's all you knew. So, Night of the Ghoul combines a couple of my favourite things. It combines horror and it combines Hollywood legends uh, into one story. So, Night of the Ghoul basically was concerned with uh, a fabled director in Hollywood called T.F. Merritt. He was essentially one of the most well-regarded directors in Hollywood. He made movies back in the 40s and 50s, you know, on a level of something like Citizen Kane. But then he was getting ready to do a movie called Night of the Ghoul. And then the movie was never finished, the footage was destroyed, and T.F. Merritt disappeared and was presumed dead. So, years later, uh, a journalist decides that he's going to uh, try and unravel the mystery of Night of the Ghoul. And was it a cursed film? Was it just an urban legend? Was it a Hollywood myth? What was it? And he has found out that T.F. Merritt may actually be alive and well in in an old people's home. And he has basically been hidden away there from the world because the truth is too hard to face, so to speak. So, yeah, just an absolutely brilliant series. Uh, It's the kind of it's the kind of blurb for a story that can only suit a mini series. Like you couldn't make a maxi series or an ongoing out of this. I think it was always going to be a finite story. So it was told over three issues. They were three oversized issues. Frank Avia is one of my favorite artists as well. Sorry, Dick. Um, and his stuff just perfectly suits this because everything Frank Avia draws for me is like old 1940s Hollywood movie posters. That's his style, so it, it perfectly suited this. You know, there was a great sort of multi-layered approach in the book because you would have stuff in the current day with the older TF Merritt, but then you would see like footage from the movie itself as well. So it sort of integrated two different dual narratives, which was really, really great. You know, the movie was set during World War One, so you had all these like war movie flashbacks mixed with the horror of the uh mixed with the horror of the current day. You had a father son relationship with the journalist uh, Inman, who had brought his son along as well, who didn't quite believe his dad about all this stuff. 
You then moved on to some Lovecraftian type horror as well, and some like ancient evil that existed. There's just a lot of really, really good stuff on it. It was a genuinely scary book as well, which sometimes can be hard to achieve in the medium of comics, I think, because everything's presented to you. It's not that you're filling in the blanks like you would with a book and maybe getting lost in your own imagination. So, yeah, an absolutely fantastic book. It hasn't hit trade yet, but it is coming soon, I believe. Uh, as I say, it was uh, three issues in total, so it's about 150, 160 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just some of Snyder's best work. I've always said that Snyder works best in independent comics, but being horror. He's just he's mm-hmm. clearly a lover of the genre and knows how to, to craft a fantastic story from it. So yeah, uh, mini series of the year for me was Night of the Ghoul. Scott Snyder, Francesco Francavia, which I unfortunately think that you, sir, were not on. No, no, uh, I was not. Uh, but uh, there's no reason that I couldn't uh, pick it up whenever it uh, whenever it appears. Uh, likewise, I don't believe you were on my choice either. Indeed. So this is uh, quite the interesting category. Uh-huh, quite. Uh, and uh, my choice is uh, Arrow Smith Behind Enemy Lines uh, by uh, Kurt Busiek, uh, who needs no introduction in this parish, and uh, the late Carlos Pacheco. Uh, Arrowsmith takes place in a world where World War One is fought with magic and dragons as much as bullets and trenches. And young Fletcher Arrowsmith of the Overseas Aero Corps uh, is sent on a secret mission into enemy territory to find a mysterious ally and stop a deadly plan that could destroy all of Europe. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it was the second series in the uh, in the Arrowsmith. Uh, story by Busek and Pacheco. Uh, Kurt Busek, well known for Astro City and a uh, variety of other, you know, Come the Barbarian, uh, Marvels, uh, and uh, artist Carlos Pacheco, well known X Men, Fantastic Four, Avengers Forever. Uh, they, behind enemy lines, saw them return to an original creation after almost 20 years away from it. Um, the, the original. Arrow Smith, uh, I can't remember what company it was done at, but this this was, I mean, the the, the inks are also done by uh, Jose uh, Rafael Fronteros and colours by uh, Jose uh, Villarubo. And they're certainly, uh, Jose Rafael Fronteros was a, uh, and Jose uh, Villarubo were constant uh, companions with, uh, with uh, Carlos check over the years and uh it was just i i bought the first issue of behind enemy lines the second series before the hardback was re-released by image of the original series the original six issues so this is what this is what entrained me and introduced me to this this series and it's just unique a unique sort of alternative world alternative world war one and totally visually stunning you know it's a it's a a genre bending sort of a sort of a story you know it's a war story and a fantasy story all mixed up into one and i think it's only really the comics medium that could that could do it justice great script great visual work and uh, i mean for for many it was a long awaited return for me it was a, a first exposure uh so you know i dare say uh, i this this would please older readers and intrigue newcomers uh you know with exactly the same sort of sort of passion and so i mean we're introduced we're reintroduced to young airman fletch 
Jaro Smith, who's a an American. Well, he's not an American because there isn't an America. Uh, uh, the 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 map and the world are are very different place as a result of a very, very history. Uh, but uh, Fletcher Arrowsmith finds himself, he's an airman, he finds himself behind enemy lines facing a threat that could could doom the Allied powers. Um, I mean, Kurt Busiek is a contemporary comics legend uh, and he, he's just come up with a fantastic idea here. And uh, I read this, I read the first part of this first issue and I just loved it. I just, you know, it it, it seemed like, I mean, obviously I knew from, from previews and whatnot that it wasn't but it seemed like so many just regular world war one stories and you know it's told it's told sort of at two levels you've got the you've got the the what's happening then and there from fletcher's point of view but then you've also got his overarching journalistic narrative which is it's something that <coughs> you very often see in war movies but it all goes a wee bit sideways because as soon as you realise that the airmen aren't airmen because of planes, they're airmen because they have this bond with these tiny dragons and you get these airborne sword fights and crossbows that are firing magical bolts. You just, the, 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 the full on creativity of, of Kurt Busiek just comes, just comes into action. And the, the, it's not, the world feels like it has a history. It feels like it has, like it's lived in, uh, you know, and, and, there's a lot that that the characters don't understand and that that Fletcher doesn't understand about his own world and his own magic that you know so he becomes a point of view character and and us exploring uh you know us exploring that world and that magic and these concepts and so the whole thing is really relatable and really realistic and uh you know while while also I guess being everything that you understand from every war movie or, or book or comic that you've ever read, you know, the struggles of, of, a, of a wartime society. Uh, they just happen to have trolls and dragons uh, as well as a regular, a regular thing in their, in their, in their world. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just beautifully, beautifully done, beautifully, beautifully executed. Um, you know, just to say that, the, I don't know, the sense that you, that you live in the world yourself, uh, you know. It just, I, I suppose, it, it pulls you in, uh, is what it is, and uh, and no, no, no less because, uh, you know, equal comic legend Carlos Pacheco is uh, is here to team up with uh, with Busu, Busu, Kurt Busiek to do it all again, and uh, you know his, you know Pacheco's uh, art was light. And, and animated and detail oriented. He only got better as he got older uh, and just adds to that relatability of the characters. But at the same time, the designs for the, the magic and the, 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 I guess, how that, that looks, uh, the aesthetic of it, uh, just, again, just, just serves to pull, pull the reader into this absolutely unique, unique sort of creation. Uh, you know, the, 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 the smoky inks just, it's just it's it's such a beautiful looking book you know the the i think that you know you look at the backgrounds and there's almost like a a watercolor sort of style to them and it just it just adds to this sort of like mystic sort of dreamy sort of feeling uh just as as such a such a a, a sharply written beautiful looking uh 
series. It was, I think, six issues, mm-hmm. uh, and the six issues, uh, the six issues, jump just weren't enough. And I guess there's a there's a real sadness to this because you know the we'll never we'll probably never see any more uh, as a result of uh, of the sad passing of of Carlos Pacheco this year. Um, I I don't know if if Kurt Busiek should or or will. Uh, go back to it, and um, and so this these two six issue series are maybe something to be, something to be to be valued, uh, and uh, and to imagine what what maybe could have been, um, yeah. because the the end the end leaves it leaves it very much open to to further tales that I was that I was certainly looking forward to to pursue, and I would have been those would have been straight on my pull list, uh, <laughs> you know. So so yeah, highly recommend uh, picking this and the the hardback. Uh, what was it called? The hardback was called "So Smart in Their Fine Uniforms." Mm-hmm. Arrowsmith, "So Smart in Their Fine Uniforms." Uh, so that and behind enemy lines. But uh, yeah, my pick of many series of uh, 2022 was Busek and Pacheco's Arrowsmith behind enemy lines from uh, Image Comics. Actually, your favorite publisher. <laughs> favorite publisher, and yet one that managed to go under the radar for me too to get but yeah no it sounds great I'll, I'll definitely have to jump on and grab I know that's so smart in their fan uniforms was a, a lovely hardcover so I'll I'll definitely grab that I think I've got a copy of it in store actually maybe it'll just be liberated from the shelf soon we shall see <laughs> we shall see I mean that that obviously leads us we were chatting about best miniseries there that leads us into best artist and it's probably no surprise that both of our choices here are from titles that we have already talked about at length. So we'll we'll just jump in with a quick round of appreciation. But uh, your pick for best artist was from the aforementioned title, Arrowsmith. Yeah, absolutely. My choice for best artist 2022 is uh, uh, lost comic book legend Carlos Pacheco, uh, who was the the, the artist on uh, on. And, uh, behind the enemy lines but but much much more than that um carlos pacheco was uh was 60 years old whenever he passed away earlier this year uh in november actually so not long ago at all and he first gained recognition he's a spanish spanish artist uh, and he first gained recognition uh with doing work for marvel uk which was the like the english-based branch of of marvel comics um, he worked on Dark Guard, a bit of work on, on Spider-Man as well. But, you know, following that, he did a lot of work for both Marvel and DC and was one of the first Spanish-born artists to make a real impact in in, in the U.S., uh, attaining popularity for his work on Avengers Forever, JLA, JSA Crossover, Virtue and Vice, X-Men Legacy, uh, Fantastic Four, Green Lantern, Captain America, uh, including some really high-profile stuff. Uh, 2009's Final Crisis at DC, Age of Ultron at Marvel, and of course uh, Wildstorm. Originally, uh, that's where it was where they were Kurt Busiek and he uh, created the uh, their creator of the fantasy series Arrowsmith. Um, at that at that time, I mean, just just an absolute phenomenon uh you know worked with uh, john ostrander um i think or cam cam smith did his first work uh dc comics on the flash uh with mark wade uh he worked on uh, one of my favorite storylines edge of apocalypse uh worked with warren ellis on star jammers um tom defalco on uh fantastic four uh and the, uh, well that when that story was right wrapping up towards heroes uh, reborn 
Um, he worked with Scott Lobdell, Joe Kelly uh, on Operation Zero Tolerance, the X-Men storyline. And after that, uh, in, uh, in 1999, 1998, 1999, he, uh, he drew, he was the artist on one of, I think, the best limited series that's ever been released, uh, which was Avengers Forever, 12-issue limited series that he worked on. Uh, with Kurt Busiek and Roger Stern. And I think that was the first time that he and Busiek uh, <coughs> worked together. Um, he, uh, 2000, he worked in a four-issue uh, mini-series um, uh, of, of The Inhumans, uh, made a return to Fantastic Four. Um, as I said, then JLA, JSA with, uh, with uh, David S. Goyer and, uh, and uh, Jeff, Jones, Jeff Johns. Uh, and then it was in 2003 that uh, he reunited with uh, Kurt Busiek for the creator of the Fantasy War series, uh, Arrowsmith. Um, he uh, penciled the Absolute Power storyline in Superman and Batman, uh, League of Supervillains, all sorts of stuff. Uh, worked on Superman, uh, worked on the DC Weekly series Trinity uh, with Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. And, uh, and um, we talked earlier on, a, well, off off camera uh, about uh, Ultimate Comics Avengers, uh, which was his 2009 work. Um, and then in uh, 2022, returned for Arrow Smith Behind Enemy Lines, which was uh, actually very acclaimed. And his final work, sadly, in September 2022, he announced his retirement and tweeted his final comics work, which was the, the cover of Damage Control number no. two, which featured Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, running up a burrito while it was being eaten, if you recall <laughs> that cover. Um, he sadly, uh, he sadly passed away uh, as the result of uh, of ALS. Uh, the, I guess that's the same illness that um, that sort of locked in syndrome. Uh, mm. You know that. Uh, so he sadly, he sadly passed away uh, on in September uh, 2022 um, at the age of 60. So and was has been memorialized in both Marvel and DC Comics. Uh, uh, over the past over the past few months, so uh, so my my choice of uh, best artist of 2022, Carlos Pacheco. And rest in peace, good sir. I feel bad now moving from such a moving tribute to such a uh, <laughs> humorous choice, I suppose, for myself. Well, I say humorous, uh, not at all, degree, but... not at all. But at least, if nothing else, my pick is someone who has probably picked up from the legacy of Carlos Pacheco, obviously being Spanish also. Uh, and my pick for Artist of the Year was Bruno Redondo. And again, obviously, I spoke at length and giddily about the joy of Nightwing and the, the, the fact that the art in that series is just as important as the writing itself. But yeah, for me, Bruno Redondo has to take it. His art is consistently playful, inventive. Uh, it's it's the best motion art, I think, in comics in terms of, you know, just seeing the pure motion jump off the page of the characters and how dynamic it is. It's also very expressive. There's I, I, I spoke about it with the Nightwing, obviously tons of humor involved there as well with facial expressions or background details. I mean... I'd, obviously, I spoke about how we put the whole of Nightwing 87 in the store, but you can actually see the amount of detail in that. It's incredible. Like, there's even little jokes at other writers and artists, and, you know, there's one about, like, 
Tom Taylor called Gail Simone a bear on Twitter because they have like a playful <laughs> rivalry. That's right. And yes. there's like a wee poster saying like, have you seen this bear, G Simone and, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of humor in the art as well. So he doesn't take himself too seriously. But I mean, Bruno Redondo, he's, he's been a favorite of mine for a little while, not just for Nightwing, but he was also the artist on Suicide Squad Bad Blood which was a 12-issue maxi-series written by Tom Taylor. It was it was probably the precursor to Nightwing, so to speak. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful book that was as well. He's also done some work through Injustice, so again, you can see that Tom Taylor relationship clearly got started there. And then he's also done a few other bits and pieces here and there, a little bit of work on Titans, a little bit of work on Justice League as well. But yeah, just in terms of uh, instant... The other thing I always say about the really great artists is if you see one image from them and you don't know who the artist is, you know who that artist is. And mm-hmm. I think his work is very distinct as well and, and does stand out quite quite well from the crowd. So yeah, my uh, artist of 2022 is Nightwing artist Bruno Redondo. Oh, what, a, what an artist. Uh, I mean... Yeah, I can't say I can't say any more than you've already said, but right up there with with some of the best artists around, and certainly the best. I mean, Nightwing 100 was interesting because it, there was a lot of different artists, Rick Leonardi and uh, and a whole lot of different yeah, artists. On, on, ones in there. Yeah, yeah, and it, there was a there was a lovely series of uh, four pages of pinups of Nightwing through the ages as he as he leapt off the building, yeah. uh, in his different costumes. Uh, but uh, I was always glad whenever it came back to Bruno. Yeah, well, as I say, um, I have an original page of art of his, which leads perfectly to uh, our next category, which is the second, well, sort of strictly speaking, third to last, but second to last for 2022 anyway, which is Best Writer. And I mentioned I have a piece of original art from Bruno Redondo. I also have a page of original art from my favorite series by this writer. And the reason I picked this writer is because he closed off one of my absolute personal favorite comics this year. Uh, in the best possible way. Uh, that title is Deadly Class. I also own original art from that, but that writer is Rick Remender. And yeah, I mean, I again, I've spoken at length many, many times about what Deadly Class as a series means to me, about how much I've enjoyed it over the decade it's been going. You know, it kicked off in 2012, and here we are, you know, 10 years later. We had talked about how there's not a lot of... Uh, long-running independent series at Image. This was possibly one of the last because it obviously went as far as 50-plus. But it ended in a way that was perfect, uh, A, in terms of story content, but also I think sometimes the skill of being a good writer is knowing when to say stop. Uh, you know, the, the title was still amongst Image best-selling titles. They could have easily kept it going. But it had reached the point, obviously, the artist and co-creator Wes Craig was happy to move on to other creator-owned stuff with Kaya. Uh, and Rick Remender, I think, had said everything he wanted to say with Deadly Class. But, yeah, I mean, I, I picked him as best writer for this year just primarily because of that. It was the culmination of 10 years of work, a title that I loved, a title that was consistently great the whole way through. Uh, he did also write another fantastic title, actually, this year called uh, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance uh, with Andre Lima Arruyo, uh, which was a really great 11-issue uh, miniseries as well. But primarily, yeah, just to, just to say thank you for all the, the joy that that title brought me, which was Deadly Class, uh, I picked Rick Remender as my uh, pick this uh, year as best writer. And it's interesting because I don't know what the future holds. Uh, I don't see an awful lot of solicitation stuff. I know Rick Remender does sometimes write for TV as well um, and towards other entertainment. So 
I'll have to keep an eye out and see what he's bringing in 2023. The only Deadly Class related thing will be that glorious fourth hardcover which comes out this year, which uh, will finish off the whole saga and will be picked up day one. <laughs> and that'll probably be another immediate reread. So, yeah, a slightly sentimental choice for me. I mean, you know, just to throw it quickly, so many great writers this year, you know, Chip Zdarsky, Tom Taylor, Tom Keane, you know, loads of great writers that I, I, I could have picked. But, uh, yeah, more of a sentimental pick, I think. So, Rick Remender, 2022 for me. Uh, and what about yourself? Who did you opt for? Um, for me, it's uh, someone who you could consider a new guy uh, in, in comics anyway, or relatively new. Uh, uh, a, a writer that I was introduced to by uh, our own Stephen Uh Jed McKay is a Canadian writer. Uh, he's come from Canadian children's TV uh, as a producer, writer, and composer. Uh, and uh, I think he uh, had a bit of an association with uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, along the way. But over the past uh, couple of years, uh, for me, he's really uh, risen through the ranks, um, as it were, uh, to become to become one of the one of the top notch writers. Um, I, I sort of more or less pick up everything he everything he does now. Uh, he was originally uh, originally um, for Marvel. He was writing the Black Cat series um, in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, did some Spider Gaiden stuff, Daughters of the Dragon, uh, the uh, the uh, Taskmaster mini series, the the Man Without Fear, the Death of Daredevil stuff. Uh, if you recall. Um, and the Infinite Destiny stuff. I think you were on Avengers Mech Strike as well, maybe? Yeah, it was good fun. It was just basically rem- Avengers um, mixed with Transformers. Throwaway series, but a lot of fun, yeah. But it really kicked in for me last year with the Fantastic Death of Doctor Strange series, uh, where he, uh, he came up with a fantastic conceit that uh, Doctor Strange had been murdered, but many years ago, back in the 60s, whenever uh, Doctor, whenever Stephen Strange was still that uh Young, arrogant, uh, you know, individual who uh, who spoke with uh, with Stan Lee's uh, flurry phrases. Um, so he had he had set aside a week of his life that should he ever be murdered, he would be available to solve his own murder because who else could do it? Uh, you know, so it was a great, uh, it was a fantastic series. Uh, he followed that up with Strange, uh, where uh, he brought Clea, uh, Stephen Strange's wife. Uh, into the fold as the uh, as the sorcerer supreme of the uh, of the earth dimension as well as the dark dimension, and um, at the same time reinvigorating Moon Knight uh, ahead of the ahead of the the Marvel TV series. And uh, honestly, I've never seen I've never seen never read Moon Knight as well uh, as uh, as he is now. Um, he's uh, spinning out of the Black Cat series. He's also uh, he's also on a, currently on. Uh, on uh, Black Cat and Mary Jane, uh, and uh, he penned uh, at the end of last year uh, the Mark Bagley drawn Timeless, you know uh, the, the the Marvel sort of look into twenty twenty three and uh, and what's coming. So yeah, I mean currently currently he is the guy on uh, on Strange and and Moon Knight, and uh, I think Black Cat is finished uh, now, but. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's, he's recently been announced that he will be taking over Avengers uh, this year when uh, when when Jason Aaron uh, steps down in a few issues time. So the way that Jed McKay writes, he just he just has a has a handle on the characters. He does his research. He understands 
he understands where the characters are coming from, but always has something exciting planned for where they're going. Adds to the mythos of the characters, uh, and uh, yeah, I just uh, just a really a really uh, nimble writer. Uh, really, really interesting, exciting. Uh, the things he comes up with. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, he's he seems to be one of the the architects of how Marvel is going to look uh, in these coming years, and I don't think it could be in better hands. Yeah, I mean, as you say, he's going to be moving from Strange back on to Doctor Strange. Uh, that's the main title that's going to be coming mm-hmm. out in March of this year. Uh, and as you say, once you're put on to Avengers, that's that's almost a sign that you've made it, that Marvel is going to trust you with <laughs> all of their characters rather than just like one character at a time sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly a writer who, you know, I, I'd never really made Red Moon Knight until now, and now it's one of the first ones to go top of the pile. And so... Yeah, I'm enjoying his stuff, and I'll I'll definitely check out that Avengers run and also Doctor Strange as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame he's a Marvel exclusive, if you will, because I mm-hmm. wouldn't mind seeing yeah. him taking on some DC characters. But it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case, you know, a few years down the line. And I'm sure there's a creator uh, own book or two in him as well. Who would you like him to see? Who would you like to see him touching at uh, DC? Um, I mean, Constantine's an easy one to throw. Justice League Dark, I think, would be a good one in general. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. handles that mystical stuff well. Um, you know, as I said, Swamp Thing maybe could be another one. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that would be following up a rather excellent run from Ram. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Batman's always easy to go to. Red Hood, there's who I'd like to see him write. A Red Hood. Book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. A Red, a Red Hood solo title. Uh, so, get on a jet when you're stuff. ready. So, yeah, um, that was all right, then. writer. Mm-hmm. So best artist, best writer, uh, best mini, best ongoing, best publisher, best OGN, best standalone. That brings us to, uh, I guess, it's our final category of 2022. Would that be fair to say? I would say so. And of course, it is the overall best title of 2022. So do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Uh, Tell you what, I'll take it. You I'll go take for it, it. Um, if you're if you're you're happy to if you're happy to hold fire. You go for it. Um, it's an interesting one because um, my my best single issue of 2022 was a DC, and my best overall title of 2022 is also a DC. You'll be having your Marvel I have membership card revoked. <laughs> Stan the man would be revoking I... your Marvel membership. Oh, I don't know. DC, DC have just uh, have just done a celebration of, uh, in Stan's name, uh, so uh, I think I think he'd be happy enough. And I've never I've never professed to be a member of the uh, the cult of King. Uh, you know, I've uh, enjoyed a lot of as well. Holy moly! <laughs> but uh, you know, I, uh, I I wasn't I haven't been a huge fan of some of his bat stuff. Uh, you know, but uh, it's hard to look past Sheriff of Babylon. It's hard to look past. Um, Mr. Miracle, Vision, uh, and uh, my, well, my 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 single issue was a Tink Tom King book. My best overall series is a Tom King book, and I would say that it is possibly the best book that Tom King has produced, and that is Supergirl: Woman of Tomorrow, art by the fantastic Belkus Evely. Um, it started in 2021 but it finished in 2022 therefore i feel like i am justified in choosing it 
Uh, I think it. Uh, I think it finished in February or March 2022 with issue eight. Wasn't that right? Yeah, issue eight. I think it was March. Um, so yeah, it was an eight issue eight issue miniseries, as I say, Tom King and Bill Quis Everly. Um and it uh, it chronicled the uh, the adventures of uh, of Kara Zor-El, uh, Supergirl, uh, through the eyes of a young uh, a young alien woman named Ruthie, whose father had been killed uh, by um, by uh, galactic marauders, and uh, she was prepared to, uh, to 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 go on a on a an odyssey of revenge uh, for her father's for her father's death, and uh, she was going with or without Kara, and uh, and I think lucky for her, she she went with um, the the series. The eight issues were beautiful looking, uh, deeply moving, very thoughtful, um, bittersweet issue to issue. Um, uh, it's a story that that spanned many many worlds and many different experiences, uh, all motivated by by Ruthie and seeking seeking this this revenge, uh, and and it was it was a view of Supergirl seen through the eyes of Ruthie, Ruthie as they they travel together, um, and I guess as as the young girl sort of learned from learned from Kara and learned you know dealt with her dealt with her grief and, and and dealt with what revenge meant uh i think um it was just i mean i guess in some ways it was a riff true grit the 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 western there was there was yeah, there was the more, a very the more you sort of talk about it, the more it just sounds like a space western doesn't it almost yeah exactly yeah, so so yeah yeah that's me Tom. space western <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's almost like you're a firefly fan or something that's <laughs> yeah, uh it was just it was just a brilliant series i think it was one that every issue that came out uh it was i think i think four out of the eight issues were picks of the week for me or you uh, i think you picked a, a couple of them as well because you were on this as well uh, um and it just it just led to a really satisfying conclu- conclusion that that came around came around too quick um yeah and i just can't i i can't talk up uh, Bill Chris Evely or uh, or colorist uh, Matthias Lopez uh, enough just was a beautiful beautiful looking book and even Clayton Cowles on the letters I mean the way the the way the the, the lettering was designed was was absolutely brilliant it was just a stunning stunning work uh, I, I just a I think a masterclass in 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 what you can do with comics it was such quality uh both in the writing and in the and the, the art and i'll be you know keeping um, i am keeping an eye out for what, what bill cosevoli is doing next uh worked well on a whole lot of levels um i feel like tom king sort of stretched himself a little bit on this sort of stretched his voice um the the way that ruthie sort of conducted herself was nearly part cowboy cowboy but part uh Sort of yoldy, yoldy English, you know, confessional, um, and uh, just everything about it was just was just phenomenal. Um, just just such a such a such a beautiful, beautiful story and a beautiful looking story. Uh, totally satisfying conclusion on a story that uh, that I, that I enjoyed from the the start. 
Uh, maybe the art is what will will stick with me the most, but uh, but it's 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 hard to it's hard to to uh, to look past the Tom King's fantastic plotting and writing. And uh, I mean, he's doing he's doing great work on the Human Target as well. Um, I've never really cleaved to Cara Zor-El to Supergirl uh, that terribly much, uh, but seeing her through the eyes of someone else, seeing her uh, her her heroism and her vulnerability, uh, you know, through the eyes of, of Ruthier and the and that sort of con- confessional style and what turned out to be an absolutely stunning sci-fi work. Uh, the sci-fi western as you say just uh just brilliant and of course you've got crypto the dog in there as well <laughs> well i mean that just that uh pretty much seals it doesn't it i mean it really does sound like after batman one bad day riddler and Supergirl, uh woman of tomorrow that you have traded in your marvel card and you have become a fully paid up member of the cult of keen whether you uh realize it or not <laughs> Because I wouldn't it's, be surprised uh, just, if uh, Human Target was on the best of 2023 list because I think it's one of the best books that DC's putting out at the moment. It's almost like his reputation precedes him now because he gets to work with some of the absolute finest artists around. I think he's done his best work since Batman. Yeah. I think uh, there's a, I think there's I think a genuine he... uh, argument to be had there. I, I think you may be onto something, whether it's Rorschach, whether it's yeah. uh, Supergirl, whether it's Human Target. Even Danger Street, which has just started, I've enjoyed the first two issues of. So, uh, yeah, and I mean, I enjoyed the enjoyed the message of the book as as well. You know, the idea that uh, that a life well lived is is itself a justice in the face of of, of injustices we experience. You know, yeah. uh, or as uh, as Ari put it, living well is the best revenge. <laughs> you know. So overall best title 2022 from Keith is Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow and moving on to my overall best title of 2022 now there's a reason I said you can't pick the same title in multiple categories because this for me would have had best single standalone issue of the year issue two (laughs) it comes from the best publisher of the year it was the best miniseries of the year it had the best artist of the year it had the best writer of the year and overall was the best title of the year because this book is absolutely sensational. For me, anyone who knows what is it, Alan? Anyone who knows me knows what this is. They know. And this is the second time that a certain uh Daniel Warren Johnson has taken my book of the year because he did it two years ago with Wonder Woman Dead Earth, and he's done it again this year with Do a Power Bomb. Now again, you're sick listening to me about this. Tough. You're gonna listen to me again. This book is insanely good this this is a book obviously i'm a big wrestling fan i've gotten into it a lot in the last few years lockdown had a lot to do with that and you know it it holds special memories for me it reminds me of my childhood it's entertaining even as an adult and so on and so forth but for a book to be have wrestling as a as its basis but not be totally dependent on that is just the strength of this book um Basically, the book of or the the story of Do a Power Bomb. So seven issues in total. Image Comics. Our main character is Lona Steelrose. She's an amateur wrestler who wants to be one of the greats. But the problem is, she's fallen in the footsteps of her mother, U.S. Steelrose, who was the best, the absolute best to ever do it. But she also died in the ring in a tragic accident, and uh, so her father never wanted her to go into wrestling, knowing how they lost the mother. the The father daughter relationship is estranged going into it. But so far, so straightforward. But what happens is a mysterious necromancer offers to restore 
her mother's life and bring her back to life. All she needs to do is win this super-powered wrestling tournament uh, in a hellish realm known as the Baron Bastion. So it plays with the conventions of wrestling really, really well. So obviously with wrestling, we know so much of it is choreographed. We know so much of it is predetermined. It's not a sport so much as a sports entertainment type of thing. But what's cool about this is it even plays with that idea because this this hellish realm that they're whipped away to, when they're facing wrestlers from other uh, planets and other worlds, they all think wrestling's real and these are the only guys who don't know it's real. So humor plays an element for the book straight away. You've got this father-daughter relationship that provides the heart of the book. You've got the regrets of never getting to know her mother growing up, you know, and obviously how far would you go to try and restore that sort of relationship. But bottom line of it all is just, it's a, such a dynamic, fast-paced book with so much heart. I mean, Daniel Warren Johnson's art is... It's very different to any other comic arts. I can't think of anybody whose style is similar. James Stokoe maybe comes close. But his art is somehow realistic, but over-exaggerated, but over-the-top. I mean, you read Better A Bill, I believe, for example. Oh, yes. Which was I a really fan- enjoyed that book. fantastic five-issue miniseries. This is the thing. He's done great work for DC and Marvel, because obviously he did Wonder Woman Dead Earth. He did Better A Bill. He also did Murder Falcon, which was an incredible uh, rock and roll-based uh, image book a few years back. Uh, but Do a Powerbomb may be his masterpiece. And he's even said himself that Lockdown played a big part in this. He rediscovered his love of pro wrestling again. Um, he started watching New Japan pro wrestling because he... Interestingly, it was because he used to get up late at night and do feeds for his uh, newly born uh, child. And they'd be sitting watching stuff late at night and end up watching wrestling. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a deconstruction of wrestling. It's an homage to wrestling. It, it plays on the camp and the melodrama and the entrances and the pageantry of it. But it also plays on the athleticism. It's just an absolutely ridiculously good book. I mean, there were so many guys that jumped on this book who have zero interest in wrestling. You know, I always highlight Chris as the main one. <laughs> there was a customer told me the other day that uh, they were in and Chris was there and they said, oh, I'm going to pre-order that, do a Powerbomb trade. And Chris was like, yeah, I mean, wrestling's shite, but that book is amazing. So uh, <laughs> he's been he's been slightly uh, outed on this one, so he has. But yeah, there's there's so many great Easter eggs in the book. If you are, Like, the thing is, the book works even if you're not a wrestling fan, but if you are a wrestling fan, there's so many Easter eggs. There's nods to the past. There's finishing moves that get used. There's rivalry, you know, interviews that get used, you know, promos that get used, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, at its heart, Despite all the wrestling, despite all of that, it's a character-driven story. And and again, I can't emphasize enough that relationship between a father who feels he's guilty because he wasn't there for the mother when she died and a daughter who had to see her mum die in the ring. And they have this estranged relationship. It's all about pulling them back together as well. Yeah, it's just top to bottom amazing book. As I say, it would have actually just had every single category for me if I had have allowed it. But that's the reason I didn't allow it because it would have just been that. So... Get those pre-orders and it's the most highly pre-ordered graphic novel in the store's history because so many people, it, it didn't have a big print run at number one and it never got a second printing because Image are trying to cut down on uh, second printings because of paper quantities and stuff like that. But because of that, people were like, right, I'll wait for the trade and it's really highly pre-ordered and that's the reason why because it's a phenomenal book. So yeah, overall best title of 2022 for me is without a doubt uh do a power bomb from daniel warren johnson so uh, i will uh, i'll definitely pick that up um uh, i'm not a wrestling fan 
uh, as you will know, it's not a secret, but I am a Daniel Warren Johnson fan, and uh, you're you're making it sound like it's pretty much unmissable. You have done, you know, for the best part of the year, actually, so yeah. I should have picked it up. It's, it's never wavered. Um, an issue two really does stand out because there's a twist in issue two that sets up the rest of the book and makes you look at it in a whole new light. So uh, that's why it would have been the best standalone issue as well. So, But uh, yeah, overall best title 2022 for me, do a powerbomb, Daniel Warren Johnson. So we'll just finish off really, really quickly because my dinner is ready. Uh, we'll finish off really, really quickly with a most anticipated title of 2023. And as I say, mine was one that we actually highlighted on the last previews book, which was uh, an original hardcover called Night Fever. This is from Brewbaker and Phillips again. Uh, but there is a small part of me tempted to now say that new announcement that Tom Taylor just threw out, which is Titans number one, written by Tom uh. Taylor, art by Nicholas <laughs> Scott. So that may just have usurped it at the last second. Um, so yeah, so either Titans or Night I Fever. I don't know. They, uh, yeah, Night Fever, uh, obviously, uh, Rebecca Phillips and Phillips. Um, a dark Jekyll and Hyde inspired story, I believe. Um, and a wee bit of a break from, from Reckless palate cleanser for them yeah uh, i'm looking forward to it i have to say i think that's the idea and what about yourself uh struggled a wee bit i'm really looking forward to uh jed mckay's uh avengers seeing what he does in that whenever jason aaron finishes his uh massive the 60 60 something issue run but uh marvel have been teasing captain america cold war for a few months now uh, and we know now with certainty that it's kicking off in April, more specifically April 5th with Captain America Sentinel of Liberty 11 uh, in, a, in a prelude issue. Um, but it just looks, I mean, uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing have been doing absolutely brilliant work on uh, on Sentinel of, Sentinel of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just, I mean, those two, those two are, were very, very close to my, my pick of, uh, of writers of the year. But uh, it seems that uh, Kelly Lansing and uh, Anya Bucci, who's writing symbol symbol of uh, symbol of liberty, symbol of liberty, symbol of truth, symbol of truth, uh, with Sam, yes, are teaming up with Carlos Magno to begin the revolution in Captain America: Cold War Alpha. Uh, it's going to involve Bucky Barnes in his new role as the Outer Circle's new revolution, uh, and it's going to twist through uh, Captain America: Cold War Alpha. Captain America symbol of truth as uh, we we involve uh, we involve Sam and uh, and Steve together uh, along with Bucky along with uh, Steve's son Ian in Nomad and uh, it, it seems to be it seems to be running through uh, Alpha and then uh, a few year, three or four issues of uh, of the various Captain America titles beyond that so it is uh, I think we're we're looking at uh, what have they said? Uh, we're looking at an espionage-fueled action thriller. The storyline will pay off various plot threads that have build, been building up in the pages of both acclaimed titles, including the rise of the mysterious outer circle, their shocking connection to Steve Rogers, the surprising return of Ian Rogers, aka Nomad, Sam Wilson's intense conflict with Akanda and the White Wolf, and Bucky's bold new mission as the New Revolution. I think that's going to be right up your street too. Oh, definitely. You know me, espionage, spy, Captain America. Yeah, it's definitely. Important. Said your magic words. And the current run is very reminiscent of Ed Brubaker, so you fully trust these guys to deliver a cracking event as well. So, yeah, Captain America, Cold War, definitely one to keep an eye out for in 2023. So that is going to do it for us for our best of 2022. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You may have uh, had some things repeated because if you've listened to the podcast throughout the year, 
because there is a reason for that, because so many of those titles are just worth talking about over and over again. But uh, as ever, any titles appeal to you there, just get in touch with the store. We'll guide you with the best way to get them, whether it's through single issues, graphic novel collections, original hardcovers, or indeed upcoming pre-orders for some of those 2023 titles. So a pleasure as always chatting it through with you, my man. And uh, I will see you in store tomorrow, because I will be down there. Oh, great. Good. I'll look forward to to seeing you. Um, Hope everybody enjoyed our picks uh hopefully there's something in there that you might want to you might not have read you might want to pick up um or uh, i mean if you disagree with anything anything we say and you get uh you get something you want to tell us then uh feel free to let us know absolutely we're not beyond reproach <laughs> again hope you enjoyed this guys <laughs> and uh look forward to seeing you in store soon so i've been alan taylor and this has been keith miller you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.